Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Tech News Today is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Tech News Today for Friday, March 11th, 2011. Tech News Today is brought to you by MailRoute.info. MailRoute is a secure hosted service that provides enterprise-grade virus and spam filtering to companies of any size. Try it right now, absolutely free, at MailRoute.info. Welcome to Tech News Today. I'm Tom Merritt. And I'm Sarah Lane. And this is the show where we kick around the tech news of the day. If you're watching live, we're recording a little early today. Yeah. And uh, that's because we're going to be flying out to South by Southwest. So thanks uh, for joining us a little early on this day. Joanna Stern from Engadget. It's good to have you along. No problem. Thanks for having me. Uh, I know you're going to be leaving uh, the show and going straight to the Apple Store for the iPad 2 release, right? That's right. Going over to the cube and join the other, I guess they're saying 150 people online there now. So Jeez. I'll go check out what's going on there well, and we, then maybe get at the back of the line and go buy myself an iPad too. We've declared the show an iPad 2 free zone from here on out, mostly because by the okay. time people will, by the time people listen to the show, everyone will already, it will already be out. Yeah, it'll already be out. Everybody. We don't have much to say that we didn't already say the rest of the week. Yeah, exactly. So. Uh, but no, there I, I'm iPad chewed out too. I don't want to even talk about it. Excellent. All right, <laughs> we're all agreed then. Uh, there and there is much bigger news. Uh, of course, um, probably everybody already knows uh, about the earthquake that hit Tokyo at 2:46 p.m. local time on Friday. 8.9 earthquake centered 236 miles east of Tokyo, uh, and. Uh, of course, you know, I, our hearts go out to everyone in Japan. Uh, we hope everyone's safe. Thanks to their structural code, damages have been minimized mm-hmm. much below what they could have been. It, it could have been a lot worse. Still, uh, they're talking close to a thousand people dead, lots of injuries. Uh, and of course, because we're a technology show, we're not trying to minimize the cost of human impact. There's plenty of places to go to find out about that. We do want to cover some of the technology uh, that that is involved here. And there's some significant uh, developments. We're not just trying to localize the story and come up with a tech angle. Uh, Japanese Ministry of Internal Affairs said KDDI's undersea cables are broken because of the earthquake, and telecom is working to fix those. Uh, Sony, Subaru, and Toyota all closed factories uh, in the wake of the earthquake because of damage. Uh, Honda uh, reported that one employee was dead uh, because of the earthquake, and uh, I believe Panasonic had several injuries uh, because of, of of damages to their factories, uh, also a, um, so so quite an impact in the technology community as well as you know the wider community. Apparently, um, one of the uh, LCD plants uh, that Sharp runs in Sakai City shut itself down automatically after there was the first sign of an earthquake. So an actual plant that said, "Hey, something's up." There's a oh, nuclear plant, too, that uh, it was having a problem with its cooling systems. Uh, that last I checked, uh, you know, there was still pressure building. They were still watching it. Uh, they were evacuating people from around it. So that's frightening as mm-hmm. well. Uh, and there's a great article up at ZDNet.com about uh, all of the resources to find out about what's going on in Japan regarding technology, regarding data centers and what services are up and what services are available, uh, what disaster uh, systems and rescue systems are available online to help folks. Google, for instance, uh, has put up their person finder tool, which the last time we saw was in Egypt. They did it in Haiti as well. Uh, it's a way to to share data on the availability of people. Uh, because when this earthquake hit, 
people were without the ability to get home. The transportation system shut down. So a lot of people had to walk hours and hours and hours uh, across cities to get back to their homes, which means people are delayed. Some people may have waited it out. Uh, and and we're getting lots of reports that the cell networks are jammed. Uh, mm-hmm. Folks are using text message and Twitter to communicate a lot more, than, and even things like Facebook, a lot more than calls because uh, NTT Docomo, amongst others, are mm-hmm. reserving a lot of the bandwidth for disaster calls. Yeah, at least on the Google's site, at least right now, I know when I went to bed last night, uh, they were tracking about 4,000 records of folks. So you can either choose, you know, I'm looking for somebody, here's their name, here's where they might be living, or I have information about somebody that's okay, or the alternative. Um, The number's now up to 7,200 records, so people are definitely using this. It's available in a variety of languages, English, Japanese, uh, Chinese, Korean, um, to, to name a few, um, which is, you know, Google, uh, this went up in record time. So kudos to them. It's a really good service. And if, as rudimentary as it might be, it's helpful. And of course, uh, it, you know, following the story online, uh, people are uploading YouTube videos uh, of their experience, uh, photos galore of what's going on. Uh, Joanna, I'm sure you've been following this like the, the rest of us. What, what places have you relied on to get your information? Yeah, so I mean, I woke up this morning and I, I I don't actually know what time this started last night. I had definitely gone to bed. Um, but, you know, I woke up this morning. And the first thing I do in the morning is usually tw- check Twitter. I hate to admit it, um, but that's usually what I do. Um, and I really just sort of got stuck, like basically checking all the sources of news from my Twitter feed for at least an hour this morning. Just things from YouTube to, you know, mainstream media t- sort of uh, clips. CNN was live streaming some stuff. Um, You know, the YouTube stuff is, I think always now there's sort of this citizen uh, video aspect that makes it really just so so much more personalized when you check it out. Um, And, uh, you know, you sent over the link too that um, Peter Kafka had put together of some of the, you know, really just most trafficked YouTube videos and pretty just some really, you know, really powerful stuff. Uh, So I've definitely been watching a ton of video, checking out the pictures on mainstream media outlets. um, And, uh, yeah, I, I haven't actually turned on the TV or even really read that many articles. I hate to admit it. You know, I've seen the headlines, that sort of thing. But I haven't actually uh, sort of I think I've definitely created my own media stream at this point. You know, this this uh, the situation has been a real wake up call, I think, um, to me that I'm not getting a lot out of my uh, television uh uh, news information. Uh, last night was a really good example. I was about to go to sleep. It was it was my bedtime on the West Coast anyway. I know a lot of people on the East Coast were already asleep. So right. we were kind of in this little window where it's like, oh my gosh, something really terrible is happening. Turn on CNN. You know, at least that's what I did in my house because Twitter alerted me that there was a problem. You know, and it turned, <laughs> I was telling Tom before the show started that I kind of likened it to the CNN, uh, the the folks that were reporting on it they were reporting, they were they were doing their jobs, but it was like a friend who won't shut up during a movie that right. you really want to see because I'm so used to digesting the news in an on-demand way via the internet and my online yeah. outlets. And the folks on um, MSNBC, you know, I'm not singling out CNN particularly, they're all reading Twitter just like I am uh, from the same news sources. You know, the breaking news Twitter feed is telling me more than what I'm seeing on, on the news. And, and I eventually just turned it off because it was it was regurgitated information over and over. 
So, right. Docs yeah, I mean, I, I literally sat in my bed with my iPad for about, I'd say an hour and a half this morning. I mean, yeah, I was a little late to work. Um, you know, just, pro- I mean, I can't even name how many sources. I mean, it was definitely the mainstream media sources, but definitely YouTube, Twitter, people were retweeting pictures that people had taken. You know, a lot of the tweets were obviously not in English, but you click on the pictures and, you know, you don't need to know what the tweet actually said. So. Yeah, the, the, that Peter Kafka uh, article that you were talking about, Joanna, was was my first introduction to it this morning. I, I was already asleep uh, last night by the time it, it the news broke, and and so I, I was watching mm-hmm. before I'd seen any news reports. I was watching uh, a video from somebody's apartment of you know their television shaking and oh, books yeah. falling off the wall and them running downstairs. And, right, that's the first video. It's yeah, crazy. Uh, that, that was my introduction to what happened. Uh, yep. and, and Jock Searles has a really interesting article up uh, on his Harvard blog about the fact that, at least online, the the networks were like print media as far as their ability to cover this. There were very few live streams in the United States of what was going on, at least initially. I guess CNN had a few because it has their alternate streams, but none of them were streaming their main coverage. And he was pointing out that BBC News, Al Jazeera English, Twitter... Uh, these were the places where you could go and get a live stream of coverage as things happened. Uh, I have to say, I, I turned on Al Jazeera English this morning uh, and was watching their coverage on it. They had a package that was amazing because they didn't voice over everything. To your point, Sarah, they let the pictures tell the story. And it was much more moving and much more powerful to just see things in action that and, way. And there was, at least last night particularly, um, within the, the folks that I follow, there was a real backlash about some of the cable news network's approach to reporting the story. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that it was very off-putting to hear somebody throwing their opinions on what might be happening, even though the story was still unfolding, and kind of doing this analysis that, that felt out of place and inappropriate considering the fact that we're watching live a tsunami take out homes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think with, you know, not just this earthquake uh, today, but also uh, the, the revolutions in the Middle East mm-hmm. uh, and uh, other things that have been going on recently, I have found that I don't turn on my television anymore. I go to BBC News, I go to Al Jazeera English, I go to Twitter, uh, and I, I, I go to different sources because I'm already online and maybe I'm maybe I'm unique in this case or not unique, but maybe I'm rare. I mean, the, I the majority of po- the populace isn't always as online, yeah, at least as much either. as I am. Uh, but but I'm already in my laptop. I'm already on my iPad and I've got access to live video, live print uh, right there. That to me is a better quality than what I would get if I go and turn on my television. Well, this is these are also a variety of sources that you can digest simultaneously. You yep. you know on TV you can flip between several news outlets back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, online you can be watching your Al Jazeera feed, you can be updating your Twitter feed, and 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 getting live links from other folks who know more than you do. This is a, a completely different way of digesting the news. And when something catastrophic happens, particularly because it's something that everyone's focusing on, it really shows how television is no longer our access point. They're getting the news just like we are. Yeah, sure. And you either like what they're saying or you don't, but they're not ahead of anybody else. Right. And I also think it's, you know, it's a customization thing. Uh, you know, at least for me, I sat there for about an hour this morning just focused on you know, the earthquake coverage and the tsunami coverage. And then actually, you know, I was trying to figure out what was, you know, what they were sort of the emergency situation in Hawaii at the time. And I was able to sort of 
customize what I wanted to know, right? So I didn't have to like wait for the commercials like you mentioned before or some sort of commentary uh, like you mentioned. I mean, I, I didn't have to do all of that, right? I could just sort of get what I wanted. I could fill my time with some videos or if it was, you know, images and then, you know, searching for more stuff in terms of Google News. But it's it's that customization aspect that I think that the networks and and even so much through their apps, you know, are, are, are trying to sort of achieve through the digital stream. And I think here in the United States, and the, this isn't so much internet related, but the networks have, especially the cable networks, uh, to a lesser extent, the broadcast networks have built their news operations to be entertainment arms now. Right. Uh, they, the networks are entertainment arms and news is, is sort of gravy for them. And that shows in situations like this where that entertainment infrastructure just seems out of place. And I think that explains some of the people who were frustrated watching network news yesterday or watching CNN and saying, this seems wrong. What are they doing? They sound too cheerful. It's the way they've been trained to do it. And which is why I prefer to go to something like Al Jazeera English or BBC, because they treat the news very seriously. They treat it worldwide most of the time. And it just it seems like better news to me. Well, you know, the news outlets, there's an angle or there's a spin and something like this, there is no angle and there is no spin. There is just information and that's what people want. And if they get anything else, it's likely that they'll take it the wrong way. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's move on uh, to a story from Bloomberg today saying that President Obama is considering replacements for the Commerce Secretary. Uh, current Commerce Secretary Gary Locke will be nominated to become the U.S. ambassador to China so in his replacement, uh, the word on the street is former Pfizer Incorporated Chief Executive Officer Jeffrey Kindler, along with current U.S. Trade Representative Ron Kirk and Google CEO Eric Schmidt are all being considered as a replacement uh, for Commerce Secretary. Uh, apparently, the, uh, Bloomberg says the next Commerce Secretary is going to have a significant role in the National Export Initiative, which might give Kindler a leg up on this because he's part of a presidential advisory board on increasing U.S. exports. Uh, but Eric Schmidt, he gave $25,000 to Obama's inaugural committee, and uh, he's been called into the White House several occasions to give economic advice. He's he's met with the president on, on a couple of occasions, most recently and most famously here in the tech world, in that uh, that power meeting with Mark Zuckerberg right. and Steve Jobs and, and uh, Larry Ellison and company. Is that enough to make him a good contender for Commerce Secretary? I mean, he gave some money. He certainly is familiar with with relations in other nations. I mean, think about China specifically. I mean, that comes to mind. But I mean, is Schmidt the guy for this? It seems a little left field to me. But maybe I'm missing something. Yeah, I'm interested in your take, Tom. I know you had mentioned before you had a idea of why this isn't going to happen or yeah. you don't think it will. Happen. I kind of don't think Eric Schmidt, I think he's being considered because he is a friend of the administration. They've relied on him so often. Uh, and when you pick a commerce secretary, they often pick someone from the world of business. Mm-hmm. But if they're focusing on exports, uh, he is not the guy. I, I don't think Google has shown itself. Uh, well, first of all, they don't, they don't export products, uh, physical products. They export services. Right. And mm-hmm. they haven't shown themselves to be brilliant at that, especially in the area of China and uh, Maybe Eric Schmidt is not the person who caused the trouble with China. It may be Larry Page and Sergey Brin. Uh, There's a lot of talk that there was some disagreement about that inside the company. But still, I don't think, I don't know, maybe only Nixon can go to China. Maybe only Eric Schmidt can go to China, too. Uh, But I I don't think he's the right person to deal with that 
I mean, commerce does, does initiative. Does the U.S. administration see Eric Schmidt because of what happened in China as the guy who can meet him in the middle? Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. I, I, I have a feeling that you'll pro- and and he's up against a U.S. trade representative as well who's already in the know right. about how all this stuff works. Yeah, I mean, that sort of thing seems like a no-brainer, right? You have someone who's got total experience in sort of dealing with these international issues. Not to say that Schmidt doesn't have international experience, but... Um, It'll be interesting. And I thought he was working on a, wasn't he going to get some sort of a TV show? Didn't he want some, wasn't that the rumor? When yeah, he, when- there is a, like he, he, I think he steps down in April. Uh, right. And so uh, there was a rumor that he would take over a, a TV show uh, and start, start giving commentary as well. We should, we, right. we should have him on Twit. We'll give him a yeah. show. I'd love Eric See, I was to Skype in something one day. A little bit more. I was picturing some sort of Jerry Springer-esque show. I don't know. Well, we need that. We don't really have that. So, you know, maybe... I don't know if Twit is his, his thing. Eric Schmidt could have a, a daytime show, you know, sort of a daytime <laughs> chat show. Where here, he, here yeah. on Twit? Yeah. Sure. Uh, just call in. Ask Eric. Schmidt Eric says. Yeah. I'm, I'm still with the Jerry Springer. Maybe it's like a CEO <laughs> off, you know, they sort of CEO battles. Yes. Hot Schmidt. Yeah. I like it. Uh, Call us, (laughs) Mr. Schmidt. All right. uh, Dell is back to be a number two in the PC market, according to iSupply. Overall, iSupply says the fourth quarter set a record for overall PC shipments. So take that post-PC era, Steve Jobs. Uh, One of the reasons uh, that Dell is number two is because Acer slipped back. And one of the reasons Acer slipped back was because they focused on netbooks, and netbook sales have been plummeting in the face of the iPad. So I guess... Jobs wins that round. I like how Dell is touted as, we're number two. We're number two. But that's only because Acer isn't number one because the iPad sold so many units. It's I, not necessarily that Dell did something amazing. It's just the way that the market has shifted around them. Yeah, Hewlett-Packard right, raised... The same thing is, is that they've actually been making up here. They're saying, you know, in, in basically in corporate PC sales, uh, where Dell has sort of trying to shift their strategy in the past year to really focusing on consumer PC sales, um, which I have some issues with because I don't think they necessarily always think uh, the most about consumers when they're designing some of these new PCs. But I, I do think it's really interesting, like you brought up, that uh, it's basically like, oh, well, actually, you just moved up. It's not that you're actually winning. It's just that someone else dropped. Yeah, over, overall, it's good news for the PC sector, though, because uh, the uh, the numbers went up six point. Let's, let me see this: ninety three million units, up nearly five percent from right. the same period in two thousand nine. So, yeah, all of these companies grew. Even Acer grew mm-hmm. their sales, grew their shipments. Uh, part of that is because we're coming out of a recession, I guess, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it actually, this will be very interesting in the next quarter because I I think um, people, especially Acer, is really focused now on sort of the tablet space. And what they did in netbooks was really create these sort of low-end netbooks. Um, You know, everyone's doing low-end netbooks. It's sort of, that's an oxymoron, but uh, really focusing on the cheaper 199 price point. And then they're trying to do that now with tablets. So I think we might sort of bring that back up and... uh, uh, who knows if they'll, uh, you know, there's all this sort of debate about where these tablet sales should be considered in the PC yeah. sales. And some people were running that. What was the name of the company that ran the PC numbers with the iPad sales? I can't, um, yeah, I can't remember which company ran those, but it, it you know, what yeah. it, it made Apple the uh, the number two. Was it Can- two. Canalis? Canalis. Yeah. Yeah, something with, uh, yeah. I don't I don't think they should do that. I think yeah. tablets. No, me neither. Me neither. Tablets um, should definitely be counted separately. Yeah. 
Uh, Amazon is not going to have any affiliates left soon. <laughs> Illinois Governor Pat Quinn signed a bill into law Thursday that would require companies like Amazon and other Internet retailers that use affiliates to pay the state's 6.25% sales tax. Uh, and, of course, as we have seen over and over again, Amazon responded by saying, we are going to shut down our affiliate program in the state of Illinois starting April 15th. So this this affiliate program, this is the program where you sign up and then there's a little code that you add into links from your website where you say, hey, I bought these, these you know, this Plantronics headset. I really like them. Here's the link to buy them on Amazon. And if folks go through the link and then end up buying, you get a few pennies on the dollar, right? This is the affiliate link program we're talking about. Because yeah, exactly. If it is, I, I make... You know, tens of dollars a year off this program. <laughs> I tried it for a while back in the day, and I never made any money, so I'm not using it. But I know that there are at least a few high-profile bloggers who are. I mean, it's it, maybe yeah. not the 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 bulk of their their income, but certainly a big chunk of it. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, sure no, especially in the you know the gadget blogging space. I know a few people, especially with independent blogs mm-hmm. that. We'll have these sort of things that, well, we recommended this product, you should buy it. I mean, obviously, sometimes it makes you wonder, did they just recommend this so you should buy it? But um, you could definitely see it being really detrimental to a number of people's businesses. Eventually, every state is going to try to get this tax from Amazon. And is Amazon just going to take their ball and go home in every single state except for, you know, and Washington, uh, Oregon, they actually have warehouses. So they've left the affiliate programs there because mm-hmm. they actually do have a physical presence. So they don't object to that. Uh, New York has has got them to leave the affiliate program, but they still pay taxes there. And I can't I, I can't remember exactly how they worked that out. But, you know, you may have a situation where only people in four or five states can be affiliates. Uh, and, and I don't know if I use we use the affiliate program on the Sword and Laser podcast to pay help make money to pay for our hosting. Mm-hmm. Uh and and if if Amazon gets tossed out in California, we'll probably switch to another bookseller somehow. You know. Yeah, I've yeah. seen on a few sites. I mean, it's it's full disclosure. Uh, many people know how the affiliate programs work, and and bloggers will say, if you like the site, please support us by shopping at Amazon. Here's just the general Amazon link because whatever you buy, if you just go through this link, I get a right. little bit of money, and you know, I can pay my hosting fees. But Amazon. You know, if they're hit with a 6.25% sales tax like they are going to be in Illinois, I mean, they can't possibly keep these affiliate programs up. And what do they really lose? I mean, they they lose some links in, but this is probably stuff that you were going to buy anyway. Yeah, right. it's, a- Amazon's betting that they will suffer less than the state right. in these situations. But so far, nobody's backed down. In the places where they've pulled out, uh, like the Carolinas, nothing's happened. Our continuing coverage of Pwn to Own at CanSec West in Vancouver uh, shows that yesterday the iPhone and the BlackBerry Torch 9800 were pwned. Uh, Charlie Miller, Principal Security Analyst at Independent Security Evaluators, won for the fourth year in a row. Usually he wins uh, by owning Mac laptops. Uh, This year, in collaboration with Don Blazakis of ISE, uh, he took a week and discovered a flaw using fuzzing software to identify bugs. used a drive-by attack that exploited a heap overflow in the code related to Safari uh, and won not only the iPhone but also the $15,000. Although his exploit won't work in iOS 4.3, 
the exploit is still there, but iOS 4.3 puts address space uh, or ASLR mm-hmm. uh, in place, which means that the exploit is there, but it won't work the way he implemented it. So he, he gets the money on a technicality. He gets the $15,000. Charlie Miller. Good job, Check Charlie. Check he did it. Yes, but he did it. Uh, BlackBerry Torch 9800 running BlackBerry 6 was owned by Willen Pinkairs from Matasano and independent researcher Vincenzo Iozzo with help from researcher Ralph Philip Weinman. Uh, they stole a complete contact list and a cache of pictures and wrote to file storage uh, using the WebKit-based browser to visit booby-trapped sites, which set off a chain of vulnerabilities, including an integer overflow flaw. They said the big challenge there was there's not a lot of documentation about how the BlackBerry browser works. So security through obscurity was their big challenge to overcome. Uh, a researcher withdrew from attacking the Dell Venue Pro. Uh, that's running Windows 7, but but may come back at it later today. You know who uh, who hasn't um, who hasn't been uh, attacked yet, or at least no one stepped up to, is the Nexus S running Android or Firefox. Yeah, or Chrome still from yesterday. There was the one researcher who canceled. Returned. He never came back yet, as no, far as no, I know. I it's a conspiracy. Mm. Firefox got All the Android fans. Exactly. What does Google do? They're paying off these guys. <laughs> it's all the open source. It's 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 a conspiracy. All right. Finally, uh, Pete Rojas from Gadget uh, was was talking in their newsletter recently about the uh, the idea of a camera coming out with a 3G modem built in. He says he's got it on some good authority that Sony would come out with a Sony CyberShot with a 3G modem. And we were trying to remember if we could think of any other camera that's ever come out with a 3G modem. There's lots that come out with Wi-Fi. I've never heard of it. Um, I mean, yeah, I haven't heard of it either. Certainly, if I mean, there's there a lot of wireless one. cameras, you know, Wi-Fi or mm-hmm. the iFi card, um, but I, not th- not 3G that I so, know of. Okay, first of all, how would this work? Would it work like a Kindle, where the 3G is paid for and all it can do is send photos someplace, and that and that's it? Yeah. Or would it be a monthly I was, plan? I was just thinking about this. You know, I, I, that's that would be like that's what would have to happen, right? I don't think we would people would want to pay for a data plan on a camera. Um, but my fear is, is that actually camera, you know, files like picture files aren't that small. Um, so the debt, the data charges wouldn't be that cheap. Um, you know, obviously Kindle and, and the Nook, you know, they can sort of write that off. It's not that much data for these uh, carriers, but, you know, files aren't these, you know, whatever, whether it's a, what, I don't know. I mean, I, this is a, this is a point and shoot. So maybe the, you know, yeah. the files won't be that big. Well, but even point and shoots now, I mean, if it's anything under, what, 8 megapixels, it's a dinosaur. I mean, those files are big. I mean, we're talking, what, 15, 20 megabytes? Yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. So that's the, that would be the drawback here, right? I mean, I wouldn't want to pay, I definitely wouldn't want to pay a a data fee, a monthly fee for a camera. I wouldn't either. I mean, I'm trying to come up with a reason that this would be necessary for me i'd love to have a better camera than the one that i have in my iphone 4 but as iphone 4 users know i mean it's a decent camera considering that the lens is so small i wouldn't i just wouldn't carry around something else especially if i had to pay another monthly plan i I think that's the only way this works i think the idea of you know point and shoot cameras are are declining a little bit anyway because everybody's got smartphone cameras Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh but i think there are plenty of people who do want to use point and shoots that might like the idea of having their picture automatically posted to Flickr, automatically posted to twitter uh you know so that you could create a service but it would have to be free i don't think people are going to opt to buy a camera 
that you have to pay a service fee on. I just I just don't see that happening, considering I think they'll look at it and go, well, for that stuff, I'll just continue to use my smartphone. I don't want to pay another service fee. Right, right. So it'll be interesting to see what, what goes on with but this. could they give something like that away for free? I think what they do is they build in the price of it into the price of the camera. Right. So you estimate that a camera is going to last a couple of years mm-hmm. uh, and you put, you put, you figure you negotiate with Sprint or AT&T or right. so, someone and you, you build in whatever that cost is into the price of the camera. So the camera is a little more expensive, but it comes with the 3G And for the option. people who want eight megapixels rather than uh, 1.4 then that cost is worth it. Yeah. Yeah. See, I could see something like this hitting overseas way before it hits the U.S. market. Uh, that's a really uh-huh. good point. I could see that too. Yeah. Yeah. On now to the news fuse. A Dragon Age 2 gamer banned from Bioware's forums, allegedly for inflammatory language, is now locked out of the single-player game for the duration of his ban. And here's why. EA's backend systems link forum accounts to player accounts. And this is actually worrying some folks because forum trolling has led to multiplayer bans in the past, of course, so that an abusive player doesn't ruin the game for others. But why lock a bad forum Apple out of his own private Dragon Age? Well, this is Mm because Dragon Age has that uh, online authentication that everybody thought EA had gotten rid of. Apparently not. A UK government advisory body, the Broadband Stakeholders Group, has confirmed that most of the major fixed-line internet providers in the country will next week sign up to a new voluntary code of practice on traffic management transparency. In other words, kind of a form of net neutrality agreement. Uh, Recently, everybody from the European Commission to the UK government has called upon ISPs to be more transparent with their traffic management policies, so they're obliging without any regulation necessary. Hmm. A promotion offering Microsoft points, 48-hour Xbox Live passes, and in-game props could have cost Microsoft a little more than it bargained for last weekend after Xbox Live users discovered that they could generate hundreds of working codes and redeem thousands of points. Estimates have been made that Microsoft points worth between a dollar or $1 million and $3 million were generated illicitly before Microsoft shut the system down on Monday. Whoops. You're wondering when that copy-paste uh, update we expected in January is finally going to arrive on the Windows Phone 7? Duke Nukem. Uh, <laughs> Eric Haudela of Microsoft <laughs> posted on the company's official Windows Phone blog that the glitches that bricked a few Samsung phones in February has caused the company to take the time to make sure that everything is rock-solid before proceeding with the so-called No Donuts update. Uh, and that's the update that includes not only copy-paste, uh, but some performance improvements and CDMA support as well. But 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 I do have an update that has happened for Windows 7. So all is not lost. Our long national Windows Phone 7 data-gobbling nightmare is over, my friends. It's over. Yahoo updated its IMAP servers in the last few days, fixing the issue that led to Windows Phone 7 gobbling through large multiples of the kilobytes that they really needed just to check that inbox full of Facebook updates and unfunny jokes forwarded by your cousin Larry. Yeah. I hate those. Why does he do that? Why does he forward to me? He's not Just even my cousin. stop. I keep telling him to stop. Folks, as you know, South by Southwest Interactive is coming up. Uh, we're going to get done with this show and drive to the airport and fly out to Austin. That's true. Uh, and shortly, we will be clogging your Twitter stream with all of those posts from South by Southwest. I'll try not to. I actually try to keep my South by Southwest posts under control, but uh, not everybody does. So what do you do if you're not really interested? Peter Kafka at All Things D points out that TweetDeck's filter function allows you to block any tweet with any word, including SXSW. 
uh, and can kind of clean up your feed from all that stuff if you don't want it. We're just saying. I mean, in years past, I will say I have been guilty of 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 diarrhea of the tweets being at South by Southwest. Are you reformed now? Well, I try to. What I try to do is hashtag everything. So mm. yeah, I mean, if you if you want to just kind of filter that stuff mm. out, there then I will help you. Excellent. And I'll try not to too overboard. Knowledge Ecology International has obtained a leaked document from the new Trans-Pacific Partnership Treaty that, like the ACTA before it, had its intellectual property chapter drafted by the U.S. The chapter was drafted in secret and has been classified for at least four years after negotiations end. The agreement exports nearly verbatim the DMCA's rules on digital locks, ISP liability, and subscriber disconnections to the rest of the world. And now a sad tale of a Swede who should never have listened to his unicorn. Ryan of Sweden heard about Liberty Media's amnesty plan for copyright infringers, so he sent an email promising that he will pay, quote, from the pot of gold I got at the leprechaun at the end of the rainbow, despite criticism of the studio from my unicorn. Liberty Media's lawyers have issued a subpoena to Google for personal information related to Ryan's Gmail account, even though he was obviously joking and is not even from the United States. Are there unicorns in Sweden? Is there something I don't know? Well, yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, definitely. Why, I else, why else would Liberty Media's lawyers take this seriously? Well, Other, Because otherwise it'd just be a joke, Sarah. I, I don't know what to say. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a little baffled by this whole thing. I really am. <laughs> he just thought it would be funny. And uh, I guess the lawyers didn't. You know, sometimes unicorns just aren't a joke. That's right. <laughs> no, they're real. <laughs> it's, uh, it's good advice. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to make a t-shirt out of that. Finally, I just wanted to talk about unicorns this. Unicorns are real. <laughs> unicorns are not a joke. <laughs> I wanted to uh, talk about an article up on Ars Technica about NASA's planetary protection officer uh the ppo now we know that nasa can't admit that the ppo is in charge of keeping the goa uld from attacking earth and turning it into a slave labor uh, planet but the things that they will admit is the ppo is going to make sure that missions we send into space looking for extraterrestrial life don't end up contaminating their destinations and they make sure anything we bring back to earth doesn't accidentally end all life on earth kind of like when you want to bring fruit back from mexico or another country and they say no you actually yeah. can't do that right because you know we have this delicate ecosystem here and they have some, some no alien fruit they have some different standards like if you're going to mercury with a probe they don't uh, do whatever you want nothing can live there hmm. so they're not worried about contaminating mercury uh but in some other situations like going to europa or io they're actually going to crash the probes into jupiter or saturn so that they burn up and don't ha- carry any contamination. Because we might have a lot of contamination on our end as well. Exactly. It seems like we don't want to ruin Europa with our germs. They're more worried. They can't yeah, handle our, our flu. Germs. Our unicorn germs. There exactly. might be unicorn blood on the probe. Yep. They are That's silver. What I'm about. Who's to say? <laughs> Shall we move on to the calendar now? <laughs> yes, let's. <laughs> now that we're in bizarre. No, world. I think we should talk about unicorns <laughs> and space for a little bit. Oh, more. I'm sure we'll figure a way to put it in the calendar. Uh, starting off our calendar rundown, the Motorola Zoom, or Exum, as Tom likes to say, update is rolling out and brings required enhancements for Flash 10.2. Uh, the Flash 10.2 beta hits Android market on March 18th, uh, only supporting Honeycomb uh, during this release. Jailbreak for iOS 4.3 is already up and running. That was fast. When did it come out? Wednesday? Yeah. Good, good, uh, good work, jailbreakers. 
Uh, MCV UK is reporting that the Sony NGP is headed to Europe on November 11th. That's according to anonymous sources, but interesting information nonetheless. T-Mobile's new data plans launch Sunday, this Sunday, uh, March 13th. They're the data plans that are not really as good as the They're a little more expensive. data plans. Yeah, yeah so going to pay more if you're a T-Mobile customer. Uh, sorry about that. The Sony Xperia Play hits the UK on March 31st. Uh, this is the one that uh, doesn't require thumbsticks. Right, it's just got the little nubbins. Yeah, the little nubs. Yep. And a reminder that South by Southwest is 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 upon us. Many of our comrades are already there. We'll be leaving to go to the airport immediately following the show. Uh, live coverage on Saturday and Sunday. That's tomorrow and, and Sunday. Uh, tomorrow <laughs> we'll just kind of be roaming. We're kind of party hopping, really, tomorrow. Leo and I are going to be shooting an episode of iPad today. Not live, but you'll see it next week. And then Sunday's our big day. We have a live episode of TNT, live episode of Twit. We have a meetup. That's all happening at a place called Momo's. And there's a lot more information at inside.twit.tv. That's our blog, if you're not familiar with it. We've got a blog here at Twit. Yeah. You can also follow Inside Twit if you want to find out where we're going to be, whether On you're Twitter. in Austin or not. Go to at Inside Twit. Uh, you can follow that. And, of course, uh, today, our first thing from South by Southwest yes. is going to be Brian Brushwood and Lisa Bettany uh, in line at the pop-up Austin store uh, for our final mention of this on the show, iPad 2. Uh, and that, that'll happen if you're watching live, that's going to happen at three o'clock Pacific, which mm-hmm. is of course, five o'clock central, mm-hmm. six o'clock Eastern. Uh, and they will, they will be covering what's going on at the pop-up store. It makes me think it's going to come up out of the ground, but I know it doesn't. It's no, already, it's, it's just, it's just a temporary, it's a fancy word for temporary. Do you have a lot of pop-up stores in New York, Joanna? We do actually. I mean, not Apple pop-up stores cause Apple's taken over New York city with its real stores. Um, but we do like, um, like during holiday seasons, people will come and, you know, there's stores. There's sort of like little tents. We've always had them for Halloween, I've noticed, in San Francisco. There's always that spirit store kind of pops up everywhere. <laughs> with costumes. Those have been around a really long time. But then they go away. That's not a new concept, yes. Yeah. Uh, thank goodness they go away. I don't really want to hear about Halloween in March. That'd be... <laughs> All right, uh, let's finish up with an email to TNT at twit.tv. Jacob from Romania uh, says, hey, TNT team, uh, non-Google sanctioned devices which use the open source edition of Android are not allowed to use the Android marketplace. Uh, He's writing in response to our curiosity about this malware version of the Android security tool that showed up on on an independent Chinese marketplace. Uh, He says there are a lot of open source edition of Android phones in China. This is also what Amazon uh, is possibly planning to do as well, make a third-party marketplace for the Android app store. So he's like, that's that's why people might be using a third-party marketplace and why that malware would have taken that opportunity to show up there and maybe get a few people to install it. Interesting. Yeah, I, I know about that issue all too well because, um, you know, when people started making Android tablets early on before Honeycomb was released, um, the issue was was that they couldn't use the real Android marketplace, the the official Google one. So lots of companies, um, AppsLib is one of them that comes to mind, started creating these third-party marketplaces and sort of aggregating different apps and putting them in that way. So then people, these tablet manufacturers could get away with saying, oh, well, we do have an app store. Um, it's not as good as Google's, but we have one. So unfortunately, there are, are a lot of these third-party apps 
uh, stores that are just not as as good. And then, you know, Amazon's coming in. We're all all wondering. I'm I'm really interested to see what Amazon's going to do in this sort of space. You know, if it's going to be sort of a media store, um, I think that could be actually a really useful second app store. So I'm not totally writing that one off. We were speculating with Chris Null on the show yesterday of how many people might get sucked into this third-party store that had the malware version of the security patch. Because right. first of all, you'd have to be going to a third-party app store. Then you'd have to be knowing about the malware and not realizing that it should have come over the air from Android. And then you'd have to go to the trouble to download it. I didn't think it was that many people, but Chris is like, hey, never underestimate how idiotic people can be in downloading things. Yeah, I mean, this is a good point the guy brings up about China, but I know a number of different uh, tablets in the U.S. You know, that were really on sale last year, at the end of last year, maybe mid last year, Um, some Arcos tablets, uh, other ones, uh, just sort of smaller brands that had to do this sort of third-party app store thing and you know, people might have bought them and just thought, hey, you know, I'm going to use this. So I'm sure there are some people that will definitely be prone to this issue. But yeah, it's a good point that Jacob brings up. All right. Well, Sarah, you ready to go hop a plane? I am, Tom. I haven't even packed yet. So I get to go home and oh, wow. throw some underwear in a bag and hope for the best. All right. Um, <laughs> I have my suitcase in the car, actually. Well, that's because you're one of those people who like packs the night before. Plans I'm not ahead. one of those people. So if you see me, it's going to me jealous. jealous I'm, I'm sorry, Joanna. We'll shut up now. Yeah. Um, no, I'll be following the Twitter stream. I won't be, you know, putting you into the tweet deck uh, block. So oh, thank, thank you. you. We I'm appreciate that, Joanna. You guys do. We'll try not to ab- abuse the privilege. We'll we'll make you proud. Yes. Try jo- to limit the diarrhea of the tweets. I will. Joanna Stern sadly does not write nearly enough about unicorns in her job, but she does write about some great stuff at Engadget. Uh, let folks know where they can find it and what you do. Um, Engadget.com. Uh, today I'm actually, right now I'll be uploading some pictures from the uh, iPad launch. If you guys are interested in the lines, I uh, don't know what is in the uh, future after that, but I'm sure it'll be some interesting gadget news. All right. And uh, thank you so much for being on the show, Joanna. We love having you on. Oh, thanks guys. We thanks, will Joanna. be back on Sunday. There's going to be a live broadcast on Sunday. It will be at four o'clock central time. So that's five o'clock Eastern time and two o'clock Pacific time live from South by Southwest at our Momo's meetup. Check us out there. You can find us, of course, at twit.tv slash TNT. You can email us TNT at twit.tv or give us a call 260 TNT show. We'll see you live from Austin.